We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports shoutcasters and hosts. Just a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. So all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Matt Oates, known as Matrum. Matt is a veteran esports shoutcaster and event host. He's worked in many game titles and genres, including many Battle Royale games, such as PUBG, Apex Legends, Overwatch, and Valorant. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's uh, always fun to come in and be able to just talk shop. Yes, it's always exciting. So kind of start. Tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you get involved in the esports business? I kind of took a weird path. Uh, I was a single parent for quite a while and I just couldn't. There was nothing to do at night. So uh, I just after my daughter went to bed, I started watching esports and different streams like that way back whenever it was still just in TV before I made the switch over to Twitch. And uh, I would just help administer, like, you know, like be a ref and do all this other stuff in the background. And everybody kept saying, you know, Matt, you've got like an amazing voice. You should start trying to cast. And I was terrified about making too much noise and waking up my daughter and all this other stuff. I just kept doing slight admin work and stuff like that until I met my present wife. And she was super awesome. And she like was highly supportive and said the fact that I should try to do it. And so I started trying to cast some stuff here or there and then very quickly took off and ended up about a year later ending my director of IT job. So that way I could kind of like travel the world, have some more fun. But one of those things that while I thought that I would have the skill for it, just without any support, I never would have been able to. Amazing. So back in like the old red eye days when all this was really kind of forming the original casters. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know a lot of different people throughout the scene because of that. Uh, I'm just absolutely trash at social media. So that's why I don't have a similar following to all those guys. But yeah, like uh, Richard Lewis, all those guys, uh, we've hung out with most of them. Amazing. So how'd you kind of first get involved in the commentating? What was like the first games you started to work? The very first game that I actually started commentating uh, was League of Legends. My first paid gig was actually for uh, MLG and doing Call of Duty, though. Uh, whenever I first started off, I was kind of uh, afraid my friends would pick on me because we had like this really close-knit gaming group of friends that would all play League of Legends as a full five stack, or we would go play like Call of Duty, Battlefield, you know, just whatever was catching our fancy at the time. And uh, I kind of uh, applied for a couple of different things got told that, hey, you know, like, hey, we want to hire you as like a full-time job. I got really, really excited, uh, started looking into it, and then saw that the pay was terrible. So I decided not to do that and instead just kind of kept going freelance and doing it on the side. Um, it was 
it's an experience because like for anybody that's starting off just getting involved in esports, the amount of people that are going to give you quote unquote jobs is insane. And the next thing you know, you're tied into an NDA and a non-compete and all that other stuff. It's kind of murky at the start as I know that you're aware of Justin that sometimes it can be, I guess, grimy and because we're still on kind of the frontier of an esport. So luckily I did manage to have a good enough head to avoid that. Definitely. So tell us a little about some of your first commentating. Um, what were some of the other games you've expanded into and how did you kind of path develop? I've kind of been here and there and all over the place. Um, it, I grew up being super big nerd, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, all that type of stuff. Um, and so through that, I ended up also becoming a band and theater nerd and that led into a theater scholarship. So I've always had a skill for speaking, uh, to say the least. And as we moved through different stuff, I suddenly realized that due to the diversity that I have in just my gaming history, because it's like, I'm not a one genre type of player. Uh, suddenly I started casting all kinds of different random stuff. And it was, it's fun because every single new game, you learn a new style of tempo or you learn a new variation on something that you can do. Like a prime example of this is I ended up doing an ACE combat event one time. And it was at, uh, I believe it was PAX South over in San Antonio. My co-caster was actually a fighter pilot. So while I was doing like the esports, you like, oh my God, he's like going and doing this. He was explaining the technical aspects of how like the dogfight runs would work in real life and like the physics behind how like certain turns were working. Just stuff like that is absolutely a, like it, it starts expanding your horizons and how to start thinking about the game to where I like before I started doing games more, uh, more super in-depth than Battle Royale, you start looking at like military squad movements, how squad, uh, SWAT teams move, how like specifically SEAL teams communicate and move around. Because once you start looking at all of this stuff, once you start looking at like a battle royale in combination with that, you start to see how all of those tactics start to sync together and how it's like holding different angles and crossfires. And you can really start to explain an entire battlefield because that's the big thing about a battle royale, right? It's really easy. And I've cast these games like, like Valorant and Overwatch and stuff like that where it's a team versus a team because it, it's just, you have every single perspective that you know when you know what the directed objective is. Whenever you have over, let's just say, uh, over 10 teams involved in a battle royale at any given time, each one has its own objective that it's trying to accomplish in there. So bringing much more, I guess, macro overhead insight into what every single squad is trying to accomplish and how they're interacting and much more almost military news style is where I got all where I started getting a lot of acceptance in there. And so it's, it's interesting. Just the, the amount of whenever you're doing casting, you're just trying to pull in different experiences and from different games and anything that you can think of. It's, it's all, it's not technically acting, but it is all just improv for lack of a better story and trying to tell that story. Definitely. I think that's an interesting point that you kind of bring up that, you know, there's a lot more going on than kind of just meets the eye where it's like, yeah, you're trying to shoot the guy and kill him and take his energy away. But there's so much more strategy and all the movements and, you know, the way that you're planning that you have to understand those nuances. And that's, you know, where someone like you comes in. Lucked out on that one. You know, I was in ROTC for a while. And so I did orienteering where you had to learn to look at a map and run around. It was highly useful for everything that I've had to move forward inside of this. Uh, it's always cool to see the flashy play, right? You know, the one that the guy that one V fives or something else like that. But more often than not, 
it's a secondary play that happens from back behind it. Like a great example is at the, in Dubai, there was the PUBG finals. Uh, there was a, a team that was behind trying to move into first place. And that whole system works off of points versus off how many kills that you get and your placement at the end of the, uh, the round. So what ends up happening is there's a giant field with two teams. And these are some of the like best aiming teams across from this other squad. They leave one of their members behind the other three jump in a vehicle and they just send it. mad dash across any other time that would have failed entirely, but they timed it perfectly to where those two squads on the other side started fighting. They were cresting a hill and started shooting at each other. So in that half second of distraction, they all jumped in, made the move, took off. And the guy back behind was spraying down everybody. Like the aim that he brought out on that dropped two different players. But while we were watching it, we just saw the vehicle cut off with the three people and one guy just sprang in a car as it drove by and looked like he got the drop on him. But really, it was the guy that chose to sacrifice himself. No chance that he could ever make it out. He's the one that was the catalyst back behind it. But it's not until you retrospectively look back that you can say, this is the reason that that won, not that one guy that ran in and got four kills jumping out of a truck. Definitely. I think that that's, you know, the unique thing that until you start really seeing it, you don't really kind of know that that's even what's going on. And, you know, I think that's kind of why there's a whole art to it. So kind of mentioned a little bit of, you know, your PUBG casting. So how'd you kind of first get involved in that? And what's so unique about casting for PUBG and just, you know, battle royales in general? Uh, Battle royale is kind of my baby, for lack of a better term. Um, It's right as soon as I started playing PUBG the first time, because I saw it just on a random Twitch stream and I saw what people were doing. And I was like, this is, this is kind of interesting. I love the concept on it. And I was already casting semi-professionally here and there at the time. And everybody was in that, Oh, you know, like a esports ready meme that was going around and you can never do a battle royale because it's too luck dependent or whatever else like that. You know, it's all RNG and blah, 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 blah. But I, I, I felt like there was something there and that a highly tactical team could actually navigate and find ways to win. Now it, the circle settings and the behaviors for loot and stuff like that weren't in a good place. I'm not going to argue that in the slightest, but as I, as I saw, kept seeing more and more, I saw the fact that they were about to release custom lobbies. And so I started just nosing around asking everybody. And I found a group that was wanting to just kind of get together and already had some people that were kind of goofing off and trying to like, everybody click Q at the exact same time to see if they can get in the game together and then kind of make it like its own little tournament bracket. Only about, I don't know, four teams would make it out of the 20 that were trying to get in there, but it was how it kind of started. And I started talking with them. We started figuring out like how to do a point system based off of it because we realized, you know, you can't just be a, a one and done round because while there is RNG inside the system, you're looking at a, and expanse across games instead. And then we started realizing, okay, this isn't like, this isn't like league. This isn't like first person shooters. This is more akin to something like a racing game, like F1 or, or NASCAR. And so we started looking at the point systems for those. And actually uh, the very first PUBG system was a variation of a NASCAR system because we started trying to think of just each game as a lap. And so once we started expanding it out that way, then you just played 10 games over that. And then whoever had the highest point total across those 10 games, even with RNG and everything else like that, have proven the fact that they can play best. Once we established that, we also then had made the switch over to first person from third person. Got the ability to adjust circle settings. 
all that other stuff. And then that kind of progressed in that we started at that stage really starting to see repeat winners. Like there would be the top three teams, no matter where the circle would go, that would find a way to get into that in-game circle, I would say, I don't know, four out of five times. And suddenly it wasn't an RNG game anymore. It was about a consistency game and making sure that you could plan, maneuver, and tactically like push through everything. Downside with it is the fact that Fortnite came out around that uh, around that time as well. That took a lot of thunder. Uh, they did. They kind of mismanaged their esports scene by comparison to what the community was doing in PUBG. Apex followed up after that, and Apex ate it up. They were like, "This is the right way to do it," and they started pushing their scene in a similar fashion. PUBG saw the potential of esports hardcore to invest in. So it's we now have an actual developing, very involved battle royale scene out of it. So. That's one of the reasons why people tend to joke that I'm kind of the godfather of Battle Royale is because I was there at the start helping figure it all out. Amazing. Well, we know that those are some of the most popular titles and, you know, with Warzone and, you know, as we mentioned, Apex Legends and some of these up, Free Fire. There's a lot of really popular ones all around the world, including the mobile ones. So what else do you cast and, you know, what else are you kind of looking into maybe in the future? Well, right now it's Snap. Um, I know big change over, Hey, this guy that did league of legends, overwatch, Valorant, ace combat, blah, 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 PUBG, apex legends now doing a card game. Well, I told you, I kind of have like a, a variation of games that I like, and this is a, this is a great example of it. Uh, while we were over in Dubai for PUBG, one of my friends introduced it to me. I didn't have my computer over there. So just started playing, uh, came home from Dubai after about three or four weeks of just playing it on my phone and was hardcore addicted. That moved into like the Christmas season and I had some family stuff. So again, really couldn't be around my computer. And every single time I played it more and more, uh, it's again, okay. Yeah. The locations and stuff like that, very volatile as far as RNG can come into play. But with the new battle mode system that they put out, we've already started doing, I think that I've cast three tournaments now and I'm real excited about the future for it. Like I, I think that with the capabilities that they're now starting to move in and trying to very quickly update and adjust cards. That was a problem because anybody that plays Snap recently knows about the Leader Leech meta and how big of a pain that that was. So that's now something that they can take care of much more on the fly. And we have things like community events that are already starting to kick off. You can see that there is an eye that the people that make Marvel Snap do think that there's a potential there because it's it's like all the greatness of magic combined in with the betting system of poker. So there's a lot of drama to be developed in there. And it's it, just in having cast the little bit that I have, you can already feel that there's like a sense of tension that's building throughout the game. And as it develops, I'm, I'm really excited about the potential of this one because I think that it's, uh, it's different in an entirely different way than we've seen in eSport progress before. So how would an esports work for that? You know, as someone who's a big Marvel Snap play, and we've talked about it before on this show, how would you know something like this be structured? Well, I th right now uh, it's a lot of best of ones, and we all know that at the end of the day, the best of one is not the best way to do it, especially in a card game because you can just get hard countered based off of highest likelihood is we should probably do some type of best of three upper and lower bracket in different variations. The issue with that one is there's it can be time consuming at that stage because that means that uh, a best of three could run 15 minutes or it could technically potentially run closer to like 45 to an hour. So trying to sync all that together in a tournament structure as far as presenting it 
front-facing with casters and production, figuring out the timing on that's a little bit more difficult. Because if you aren't familiar with battle mode, it's uh, you go in, you play against somebody, you each have 10 cubes, and you're playing to whoever can diminish first. Once you get to round five, it's a double or nothing. For, they call it high stakes, but that's pretty much what it is, is every single time your ante gets up higher, blah, 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 blah. Um, the, you cannot switch decks between each, I guess, set inside that game, you know, while you're still fighting for the same 10 cubes. So it's a lot about trying to figure out what the other person has in their deck. Do you have ways to counter around it? It's a lot more of a thinking style strategy, but again, you can still be hard countered and there is no modifications for cards or card swapping. There's no sideboard. So I think that a best of three is a near on requirement for competitive integrity because it's just, let's say you're playing, I don't know, a death game and you're playing like you know, pretty much where you're just trying to destroy all your cards and the other person's running armor and Cosmo. Well, that's pretty much a 10 cube GG. It's very hard to win at that stage. So you need to be able to try to like rally after that, or at least maybe there could be the potential of sideboard, but either way, I think that there's a, a lot to be had here, especially now that we're starting to see tie-ins with movies every single month. There's a new battle pass. You can tell that there's a hardcore entanglement between the MCU, the comic universe and what's going on inside of snap because just all the artists and their variants. And again, like right now, quantum mania is coming out and the battle pass is all Ant-Man themed cards and quantum mania stuff. Well, as someone who's also enjoyed, you know, Marvel contest of champions, another Marvel mobile game there, there's a lot of that where you're starting to see it on the marvel.com insider and, they're kind of promoting it the same way they do their other titles. So it's definitely very interesting to see where the future goes for that and to see, you know, how the developer gets behind it. Because I think as someone who's, you know, involved in esports, it's kind of the big, you know, question in the room is how and to what degree the developer who obviously, you know, owns the game is going to be involved. And, you know, are they going to support it? Or are they going to be kind of like, you can do it. We're not really involved or are they going to try to be in charge of it and, or not let it happen at all. So, you know, there's lots of different ways that that can go. Yeah. It's uh, I have faith. It's a lot of people that were not happy about the, the companies that they were working for at the time, you know, like there was the kerfuffle that happened over at blizzard, some stuff that went over in Activision and a lot of just, I guess, like-minded individuals that didn't want to be involved in all of the drama that was going on there decided to make their own game company, use their connections, and got in with Marvel right off the get-go. So I think that this crew understands the capabilities of what esports can be. We've even seen like a couple of them hiding out inside of chats while we're doing different events already. So They are very interested in the potential of what this is going to be able to do. Uh, that is not question in my mind. Now, whether or not they're going to run first-party events, i.e., second dinner slash Marvel Snap official, or whether they're going to run third-party events like letting ESL or you know esports engine those types of things run everything nah, that I don't know but I do think that there is some legs to where we're going with this because I mean it just what one mobile game of the year at the the game awards we know the fact that it's making a ton of money and so, the New York game Awards. shout out to them it's a I, I have faith I, I think the fact that most of the people there are have been a part of I mean Ben Brode is like one of the is kind of like the spokesman and one of the uh, public facings for it, and you know the fact that he likes esports, so I, I think that we'll be okay. Awesome. So yeah, I'm very hopeful to see how that all develops. So 
in addition to kind of casting, you've also actually worked on the live production side. So what kind of production tips do you have for those out there that are trying to kind of get involved? And how do the producers and the broadcast talent work best together? Are there any tips as someone who's kind of been on both sides of it? Ooh, that one's uh I would say it depends on the scope and scale. Like uh I've I was one of the people that helped create the initial production systems for uh battle royales as well. Uh that was hand in hand with the point systems, right? And it's running production is kind of the unsung hero. The like the casters tend to get a lot of love and the players tend to get a lot of love. But the people that are in the back are what make the whole thing run. Uh, I will say that if you're talent that's wanting to move into esports, treat everybody with respect, treat everybody nice. It doesn't matter how big of a jerk somebody is to you or how much your ego hurts or whatever else like that. Understand, I say this as a caster, you got to have some type of ego to be a caster, but don't let your ego run you, especially at the start. Um, because the entirety of the esports community is much smaller than I think that people think that it is. And it's insane how fast, oh, this person doesn't have good work ethic, or this person is rude, or you know, this person's a diva, how fast that goes. And no, it doesn't matter how good you are at anything. If your ego is bad, it's just easier to get somebody else that will work on a team. And that is a core component of it. And if you work on the production side of it, make sure the fact that you're diligent, because sometimes there's no nice way of saying it. In esports, people can tend to be lethargic or i would say slightly like lazy it's not often seen as treating it in the same way as a quote-unquote real job it's kind of the same reason why you see a lot of people be like well i stream all the time and i don't understand how come i'm not getting followers until you start treating it like a real job and treating it with professionalism you're going to suffer from a lot of these problems where you're like i don't understand how come i'm not getting to work more events or how come these people aren't asking me back it works that way no matter what aspect of esports you work at now then if you're in the trenches, you're in the production side. The only thing I can say is just tackle what you can. If you're in an online broadcast, which is really common post COVID right now, know the fact that you're going to have bad internet connections. You've got to have a very high solid connection. Uh, you've got to have top of the line computers. You're going to have 50 to 60 different programs that you're going to have to download depending on what you're working on. Then if you're going in person, you're also using a set of tools and a computer that you're not used to. So make sure you familiarize yourself in your downtime as much as possible. It's uh, very common for a lot of the hiccups that you see in these big broadcasts are just because somebody didn't spend enough time making sure like their key bindings were the exact same. Like pro players tend to forget it too. Like you'll see it oftentimes like, oh, well, I forgot to bind this to this. So that's how come I messed up on that play. Same thing happens in production crews. So make sure that you're spending your time working through that as much as possible. Just, I cannot express enough how much humility and teamwork and just being willing to work with other people and offer advice and help other people and how much easier it is to find work inside of esports. Absolutely. I think it's one of those points that you bring up and I echo it. It's like nobody wants to work with someone that nobody wants to work with. It, it's just not a good situation. And yeah, there's certain people that, like you mentioned, you know, maybe have more followers or, you know, quote unquote, are getting more paid, you know, paid more than you, et cetera. I don't think that necessarily means you give the right to treat someone differently. And, you know, I think that especially with the production and people that are working at all levels, like this doesn't run without them. It's great that you're a broadcast, but if nobody makes a broadcast work and if your mic doesn't work, it doesn't really matter what you're saying. 100% true. Like I have seen the ruin of so many careers just because of the fact that 
just ego. Like I, I cannot even convey to you. I'll, just off the top of my head, I can think of about ten or fifteen different names where just the the arrogance of the person cost them a career and what would have been a very lucrative career because yeah, they're good at their job. But if you, it's not just about being good at your job. Like one of the things I tend to to talk about is the fact that, you know, whenever you like a Super Bowl just happened, whenever you watch a Super Bowl, people love to get together, have food, you know, cheer and everything else like that. Esports that doesn't happen really the same. That's a lot more of kind of like watching it by yourself and those types of things. So the commentary, in my opinion, is different based on that. You're not a snooty guy that's kind of trying to explain everything in the most calm and demeaning manner. You're the friend that's on the couch with them because they don't have that. You want to be personable. You need to be, you need to be, you have to be likable. And a lot of times you can see a duplicity and personality where somebody can put on the air of being likable, but then you like see how they treat production. Oh, I've seen that. Or just even just in general, how they just really treat people where it's like, you know, they're, they're put their phone down and it's like, da, 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 da. and then it's like, oh, I can't believe I had to talk to that person. You know, it's like there's two faces, two face can be. Yeah. it's. It's kind of wild. You can kind of look at some of their uh, social media posts and you can see the hints of who they really are every once in a while. But I mean, I've been doing this for a while and I'm, I'm not necessarily the, uh, a young spring chicken. You know, that probably just saying that uh, saying reveals my, I guess, country roots there. But the everybody has had that point in their life where they they flexed more than they should have. Right. I mean. It's a matter of can you learn from it? Even if you do have too big of an ego and somebody puts you in check one time, that's not the end of your career. Just actually take it to heart. Like uh, the amount of times I see people on social media be like, I don't understand how come this person doesn't have a job anymore because they were like my favorite caster. And the person's just like, oh, well, it's just because of something I said one time. I can 100% guarantee you it's not because of that. And it wasn't just that one time. Exactly. It was that one time that they really made it a point that this is why you're not coming back. An esports team can't function without, really, if there's a whole bunch of ego involved, a production team can't function that way, a casting team can't function that way, a development team can't function that way. Can you have a rock star that has more ego than they should? Yeah. But the problem with it is in order to get to a stage where you can be that diva, you have to be able to work in a team long enough to be able to showcase you have said skills. Absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, what's your favorite part about casting and commentating? Uh, it's okay. It's kind of cheesy. Um, it's how much I get to know the players. Cause like it, almost everybody, we, we all kind of grew up a little nerdy, right? Being able to find kindred spirits that really care about a game in the same way you do and are capable of playing it on the high end, going to a land, being able to interact with them and like, I don't know, being able to tell their story. Like that's, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people do like my casting is because I, I try my, I, I can't be biased. That's what's kind of fun about it. Cause you know, like the hashtag bias caster, that's not something I can do because I have the inherent problem that I like every single person that I'm casting. And I remember their history, what they've done, I've done research on how they get, I know usually like what type of like background that they had to, in order to get into the stage. So every single small thing that they do is a victory that I feel like should be celebrated in some fashion. It does lead to a weird situation whenever I'm like, this one player gets a headshot on this other person, but oh no, this other person on the other side hits up with a headshot. The oh no isn't like, oh my God, look, I'm being fake excited. It's just like, oh shit, my friend, he died, but he was killed by my other friend. And that's pretty cool. Like 
if you just the being able to see these people's history and be a part of it and be able to tell their story, I think is really, really fun because to me, it's not shooty, shooty, bang, bang. This person did good. It's look at what it took for them to get here and look at all the smart things that they did and how their teamwork came together. And the, you know, the story of how they did, I'm, I'm much bigger of a macro caster. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, Oh my God, that lean peak was the best thing ever. It's going to be more like, this move that gets them to the position to win the game becomes the storyline. And can they survive the gauntlet of people that are now going to be coming after them because they put themselves in the position to, you know, like I, I get emotionally attached to everybody. So there isn't any fake excitement with me. So it, I know it's cheesy, but I just really like seeing the players, man, and seeing what they can do. Well, I definitely get it. And I think that sense of camaraderie that you get kind of, you know, cheesing over stuff that you love and some of you're passionate about, it's definitely, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people kind of tend to, you know, enjoy most about it. So what's the hardest part of the job? Ooh, um, you know, it's not really the research. It's not any of that other stuff. It, it varies from person to person. Um, uh, so my answer, I would say the stress is probably the hardest part of the job. Being an independent contractor, uh, I've got kids, I've got bills to pay, those types of things. I'm, I'm not fresh out of college, like no commitments. So for me, I'm fueled by a desire to be the absolute best that I can be. And I've managed to get to the international stage for casting several different games. And that's great, but it's never, I never feel comfortable if that makes any sense at all. Like every single, I'm all, I'm the type of person that's, I feel like every mistake can cost me another gig. So I don't allow myself to make any mistakes. And so therefore the stress level right before I go live insane on me. So I have like all these different routines that I like do to calm down and try to burn off some of the excess energy. But it's, it's an industry where you have tons of people that are waiting for you to mess up. So that way they can pounce and take your job while having tons of people that are watching, waiting to point out every single mistake you can and a, and everybody that can then read that mistake inside of the different chats and whatnot. So you couple bills, fear of the future, and then just people that are waiting to come up and pounce and take your spot. It's, it's aged me a little bit. I'll say that one. I got some gray hair from before whenever I didn't have it, whenever I first started this gig. Well, I definitely know that, you know, these really, you know, high profile, high octane attainable jobs are what, you know, everyone wants and to be able to, you know, kind of cast on this international stage and be flown out and cast in front of, you know, thousands, if not millions of people, like, you know, as you mentioned earlier, that's kind of the Super Bowl for a lot of this. So let's kind of talk about some of your memorable moments. What are some of the things that kind of really, you know, stuck out to you? I know you've cast it all around the world. Hmm. Uh, there's a, there's the goods and the bads, right? You know, there's the, the funny stories that are just not, necessarily always the most appropriate uh but then there's also just like well we'll keep this you know this broadcast positive. is not it's maybe below pg-13 but it's definitely not r so okay i got you um here recently we made a trip over to dubai and more often than not i tend to be very hyper professional i'm not the guy that'll go out and drink or do any of that other stuff because i know that that's that's a pretty common part of you know esports and the networking and stuff like that but I just want to make sure that I am as crisp as possible for the next day. At Dubai, we actually ended up having a couple of days of downtime and I got to go out and with a couple of the casters and we went out to the desert and just like 
went on a desert trip where we just like the, there was a driver that would just take us out in the middle of nowhere. We got to go have like traditional food and see traditional like dances and entertainment. Just go out and just kind of see something that you'd never be able to see before. Like those types of things are few and far between. Like I can also think of a similar situation. Like whenever I went to Cologne and I managed to see like the, the cathedral there, that's, that's a great part of it. But at the end of the day, it's my, my favorite things to remember are the successes of specific players and what they've managed to accomplish. Like a, a prime example is we had some, uh, some players that were, uh, that come from Russian descendancy and Ukrainian descendancy that were playing on a team together. And as everybody knows over the past year, that's, there's some blood problems that are being happening over there and everything that's going on in Ukraine. And just seeing both of them, because they were friends beforehand, being able to play together and compete and then go on and do as well as they did, it, like stuff like that is just awe-inspiring to see and something I'm never going to be able to forget that in the middle of a war, these two guys are playing together and essentially playing a war game and manage to put their differences behind them and are both being vocally outspoken about different things that they see that are happening inside. I, I That's using their platform for good. I love seeing stuff like that. And um, then there's also just, I don't know, there, there's just so many small fun moments that I can remember, such as just the very first time that uh, I got asked to work a LAN and how nervous I was. Because my very first big paid event, my co-caster was D-Man, who is, I come from League of Legends background. That's like, big that was like one of the guys i watched you know and i remember just being absolutely nervous and then he just being the most down-to-earth like likable dude off the get-go and i'll never forget like that that scoped the entirety i would say of my casting perspective it was just meeting him him being so chill and me just being like oh no everybody here is just chill and loves the game like i do let's all just love the game together kind of thing i'm trying to think of like every one of them that's popping in my head are probably like ones that i can't be like Hmm. Shouldn't talk about that one. The only What's like say like you know any is, uh, huge you know PUBG World Championship you know any kind of you know you know that kind of level. Uh, I can probably remember the phase comeback is probably the biggest one. It was going to be at PGC Oakland during the qualifying rounds. Phase we all know phase. It's a massive organization and phase in PUBG was a, a dominant force, right? Uh, North America wasn't necessarily doing the best, but there, there was a team that was managing to be number one in the qualification process. And that was a team called shoot to kill. Their major competitor was a team called uh, 4am from China. There needed to be this crazy situation where uh phase needed to kill something. They needed to win and get like 20 something kills in order to just qualify. Right. Cause they would just had so many bad rounds before that. The game starts off with 4am and shoot to kill dropping in the exact same location and shoot to kill manages to take down 4am and take out the number one Chinese team that now opens up the door because they were killing a lot of stuff uh, for other teams. And then as uh, shoot to kill is trying to get up, they get taken down. So uh, there's been a couple of early, early casualties, but not a lot. And the phase realizes this. They jump in, and if you're familiar with PUBG, it was the La Bendita Crater. And so it's like 
mainly it just looks like an asteroid hit this location. There's like a town with a whole bunch of ruins and there's like an airplane that's kind of destroyed on the inside. But there's a cliff that like kind of encircles the whole thing. They got to that cliff very early and were just running amok. They were running around the entirety of the outside of it, taking shots on people that tried to send it in to get past them. And it was just the whole show from the very beginning for the very, very last round was just action and like players trying their all just to try to see like, I like it was shoot to kill wanting to prove the fact that they were the best and they could take down 4am and they got first place by taking them down. And it was phase taking on and killing a third of the lobby in their very last game just to be able to qualify. And then they capitalized off of that to go have a massive run in the, in the finals. And it, it's just like that one game is probably one of the best games of PUBG I have ever seen. And just seeing so many people like it's the epitome of like, leave nothing on the table, right? Just bring everything you've got, put all your heart into it. And somehow you can find a way to do it. That's the, that game. And if you haven't seen it, I firmly recommend just look up phase, uh, Oakland, uh, qualifiers. And I think like there's like three or four of them that have like 5 million views. It's a phenomenal game. Amazing. So kind of bring this towards the end. What tips do you have for any aspiring casters? You know, kind of those are looking to try to get involved. Um, we already talked about leave your ego at the door. So here's, here's my tip. Okay. Everybody wants to be the smart guy or girl or whatever. Um, you, you're not trying to showcase how smart you are. The more that you try to make the story about you, the less you're making the story about the other people. If you want to be smart, that's great, but put it in the context of what somebody else did. Uh, it's not necessarily about like interrupting to take away or anything else like that. It's more be you, be, be authentic. And there's nothing wrong with growing as a person. And so the you that you presently are changes. That's human nature. Just Don't be fake. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. If you make a mistake, apologize. And don't think that you need to be the smartest or the funniest or whatever else. Just be you. People can relate to authenticity and you don't need to be something you're not. And people will be able to read that if you try to be something else other than who you are. And don't, don't make it about trying to get yourself into a spot and don't none of that other stuff. Sell the players, sell the organization, sell the sponsors and work will come. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is making the story about the players and what it has, what, what it's taken for them to get there. Definitely. I think that's some really great advice. I went out there, make sure to kind of take that to heart. So to conclude, what does the future hold for you in your career? Where are you going from here? Ooh, next up, I've got some PUBG events that are going to be happening here soon. We've got North America's World's PCS series that's going to be kicking off soon. Um, hopefully going to be getting into some more Snap. Got a couple of that's going to be going on. Also going to start doing some daily streams of Snap. And yes, I would do some PUBG, but just for everybody that doesn't know, uh, I come from a ranching family, so I had my right hand crushed as a kid. So I can't stream because my hand shakes, and it's not good for first-person shooters. But card games, card games I can stream because it's not going to be such a big deal. So make sure you guys want to come check that out. Feel free to check out what's going on on Twitter so for all the memes and the fun stuff. But really, other than that, it's just continuing to follow these players that I care so much about and seeing what they can have the capabilities to bring. 
Awesome. So everyone make sure to check that out. You know, I'm always going to be watching. He definitely gives me some inspiration, although I really can't say that I'm in the same level or tier. So kind of try to end each episode my three questions. What's your favorite game to watch? Favorite game to watch? Right now, it's got to be PUBG. I'm still a sucker for it. We'll watch it anytime that's on. What's your favorite game to play? Ooh. Single player or does it have to be multiplayer? It can be anything. Hmm. I'll probably say Marvel Snap right now, just because of the fact that I, I can't put it down. I, I will acknowledge my addiction. Yeah, right. It's it's a but like I get in a losing streak and I just throw it. Right so it's hard. hard. I, I lost eight earlier. I managed to get four back right before we did this, so I'm just glad that I'm in a good mood at the end of the day. Right. It's kind of balances. I feel like that's how it is. I lose two, I lose two, then I get it's kind of like a net sum of zero. Yeah, that's uh, uh, I found if you want to climb, here's the trick to life. Just don't go after fours. Don't go after eights. Just play consistently. That's going to be climb. Hey, it's like the same thing. If you play consistently in PUBG, you do well. If you play consistently mm-hmm. in Snap, you do well. It's almost like that's the key to victory. Right, consistency. So who's your favorite video game character? My favorite video game character. Ooh. Hmm. There is a lot inside of that one because I'm having like 50 of them that are popping into my head. So I'm trying to whittle it down. Because uh, I like, want to say something like Chrono from Chrono Trigger, but he doesn't really talk. So that's like those characters that you like put yourself into or like self insert characters or whatever. I don't think that those count. <laughs> I'm going to go with a more out of the box style thing. And I'm probably going to have to say Snake from Metal Gear Solid. Okay, well, that's definitely, you know, real OG one. So thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So where can everyone connect with you? Uh, just give me a follow on all of my socials are very simple. It's just M-A-T-R-Y-M underscore G-G. So Matrim underscore G-G, Instagram, everything else like that. Super simple. Uh, I do most of my talking on Twitter and stream mostly on Twitch. So uh, YouTube videos will follow. Awesome. So thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q and check Apple podcasts for all our past episodes.